So I kind of have two sermons for you today, uh, hopefully interlocking and not too long. Um, I, I get really love the way that the church prepares us for Great Lent. Great Lent is coming. It's the time when we fast most intensively. We hopefully renew our uh, uh, commitment to prayer and, and to almsgiving. Uh, and the church wants us to do this the right way. And so it gives us readings to prepare us for uh, this extreme spiritual discipline that we are about to engage in. Uh, but I also want to continue with, uh, because the epistle readings continue with Paul writing to Timothy, encouraging Timothy uh, on how to, as, as, as a young member of the faith, to, to devote himself uh, to the faith in a way that will be sustainable. Uh, and, that, and so I, I want to kind of talk both about the gospel and the epistle reading today. I think they'll kind of connect, but we'll see. So in the gospel reading, we have Jesus telling a parable, as usual. In this case, the gospel, re- gospel actually tells, gives a little bit of an introduction to that parable. We didn't hear it in the pericope that, we, that was read, but it's a, it's a pretty important one. So I'm going to back up one verse and, say, and, and read it. He says, it, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So the whole framework, the whole sort of background for this uh, parable that Jesus, Jesus teaches, uh, t- tells about the, the, the tax collector and the Pharisee is our human tendency to think of ourselves highly and to look on others with contempt. So you've got these two guys who are going into the temple to pray. And the really interesting thing about the Pharisee is that he's actually doing everything right, or almost everything right. One, one important exception here. He's standing. The standard posture of prayer, no pun intended, is standing. Um, and he's lifting up his hands to God. Again, that's, that's kind of the part of the standard posture of prayer. Paul talks about lifting up holy hands in prayer. Uh, so this, this, the, the way that we pray, generally speaking, uh, unless it's a, a special season like Lent or we're, we're feeling particularly repentant, repentant or penitent, is to stand before the icons, lifting up holy hands in prayer. That's what the Pharisee is doing. So, you know, so far so good, right? Um, and he then prays and he, he talks about fasting he, he, and tithing, and both of which are God calls us to do. In, in the Old Testament, uh, when God set aside one-tenth of the populace to serve in the temple, he, uh, well, actually a little more than, a uh, little less than one-tenth, he, he had people set aside one-tenth of their income uh, to s- preserve that and to, to fund that and to, and, to, and to make sure that others were taken care of. So tithing is absolutely something he should do. He fasts twice a week. The Jews fasted twice a week. We continue that custom of fasting twice a week. Interestingly, there's some scientific evidence that seems to indicate that intermittent fasting is good for your bodily health. But of course, as we learned last week, bodily health is, you know, it's, it's good. It profits for now. But there's something more important that we have to focus on. Um, uh, but, it is, but it's good for us. Um, 
And so he, so far, so good. He's, he's, he's doing almost everything right. The key problem here is God, I thank you. Well, that's not the problem. Thanking God is actually also what he's supposed to be doing. But what is he thanking God for? That I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And even that, so this is the source of the problem. But even this, which is the source of the problem, there's a mix here. We're not supposed to be unjust. We're not supposed to be adulterers. Maybe not, maybe, there's nothing against being tax collectors. The tax collectors, by the way, here are kind of more than just your, your standard IRS or CRA or whatever. This is, in the, this context, the tax collectors are the servants of the Roman Empire. And they, were, they did tend to, they had a terrible reputation amongst the Jews, both as being traitors and as people who, you know, the way that tax collector work, collecting worked in the Roman Empire at the time was you actually kind of bid on it. And if you could, like, you'd actually tell the government, yeah, I think I can get this much out of the people. And the government would naturally tend to favor the people who thought they could get more out of the populace. Uh, so it's not exactly a, a great system to begin with. Uh, so, it, yes, of course, it's important for us to be good. That's a, a basic moral principle that is common to all world religions, not just Christianity. Um, but there's a problem here in his attitude. He thanks God that he's not like those other people. And that's the key problem. Because as soon as we start to think, separate ourselves out and say, well, I'm not like that person or the other person. And uh, we, there's two things that happen. One is that other person becomes other. There's, there's no connection between them and us. Uh, we're on the one side and they're the monster. But the other problem is your focus is all wrong. Because who can you actually change in this world? The only person you have any direct control over, and even that is somewhat limited, is yourself. And so you're not responsible for the unjust or the tax collectors or the other whatever sinners. That, that's not your job. That's not your concern. The tax collector, on the other hand, the person who everybody would have thought, well, this guy is totally not going to be justified or safe. He is standing afar off doesn't even lift up his hands to his eyes to heaven, simply beats his breast, and his prayer is really simple. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. That's it. And that's the one whom Jesus says goes home justified. So the, the message here that the church in particular is giving us by giving us this to meditate on right here, right now, as we're preparing for Great Lent, is fasting does not save you. Prayer does not necessarily save you. Being good doesn't necessarily save you. Because there are traps there that are, it's so easy for us to fall into. Why do we do it then? Well, because, just because you can do it wrong doesn't mean you can't do it right. 
it's often the problem that we have in our society. We just assume all those people are doing this wrong, and so we should just throw out the whole practice. No, no. The thing is, do the practice right. And how do we do this practice right? How do we fast correctly? How do we pray correctly? How do we look at ourselves correctly? We look at ourselves as the sinner. We are the one who needs correcting. We are the one who are, we, whom we are responsible before God to discipline. That's why fasting is helpful. I mean, it's helpful a little bit in the terms of its, its health, uh, health benefits, but it's more helpful in terms of our just saying no to food. Know, or at least to some foods, uh, and 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 for a time, you know, obviously not forever, because then we'd all be dead. But but we we say no to we practice saying no to food, so we can practice saying no to the other desires that our bodies have, that don't always lead us in a healthy direction. So is it good? Yeah, but it doesn't save us, even if you do it well. If it leads you to pride, spiritual pride, that is destructive. Don't go there. Don't do that. Okay, so, so much for fasting. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about the epistle reading as well, uh, because I think it's really important, as I said, as I said last week, um, for us, as we are kind of preparing ourselves, uh, especially as, you know, if, you're, if, if we're younger, have our whole life ahead of us, or uh, God willing, uh, then how do we do, how do we practice our faith in a way that is sustainable in a world that is increasingly dark and dangerous? And again, I have to back up and read a bit more of the chapter just because um, it seems so pertinent for now, because, uh, for, for this time, and you'll see why. As I, as I back up to the beginning of chapter 3 of second, Paul's second epistle to Timothy, at least the second one that we actually have preserved. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among those are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jamblers opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So one of the things uh, that we saw last week uh, when we looked at Paul's first epistle to, them, to Timothy, and we see even more now, is Christians have been, from the very beginning, ready for the end of the world. We understand that the world will come to an end. We don't know when, but if you know that it's going to come to an end, you should be ready for it. And we do actually have a pretty good idea of how. I mean, if you think about all the things that we're worried about, our society is worried about in terms of the end of the world, you know, uh, cl uh, climate change, uh, global thermonuclear war, uh, what's behind those? Us, our selfishness, our brokenness, our folly, 
Yeah, we, we have this, uh, naturally, we have this, you know, uh, solutions-based attempts to address these problems. And the solution is usually, uh, I don't know, carbon capture or reduce carbon emissions or, 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 or hopefully uh, uh, dis nuclear disarmament. But a lot of these things actually kind of miss the point. What is the key problem? The key problem is us. The key problem is our selfishness. The key problem is we don't care about one another and we don't care about the world around us. And that's exactly what Paul is addressing here, that in the last days, people will be lovers of self. And then he goes on to all, all the ways that, that all the knock-on effects of that. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. What does he say to Timothy? Avoid such people. Now that doesn't mean that we are to get to, to withdraw from the world, because what he says, as we as we kind of dive into what the part that we actually read is, how does he put it when he talks about this avoidance, if you will? He's he's not talking about avoiding them so much as avoiding their whole way of life. You, however, he says, have followed my teaching my conduct, my way of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Timothy knows Paul. He knows this whole way of life. And it's not a question of avoiding evil people because, well, they're evil. They're other. Because again, what is this way of life? This way of life teaches us that we're the problem. It's our selfishness that is ultimately the root of all this evil. And so it's our job to fix that, to engage in this way of life, this way of humility, this way of self-emptying, this way of self-sacrifice, this way of love. Now that's not going to be easy. And this is important to know. Because one of the th one of the kind of lies that's out there, <clears throat> especially those by from those who have a form of godliness but deny the power of, thereof, uh, is that you should all be saved. You should all come and become Christians, and God will solve all your problems, and you'll live happily ever after. Like, um, okay. So the next verse here says, "Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted." While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Okay, so where's the, um, you know, live happily ever after here? I mean, yes, we would naturally say that there is something beyond this life, something that's worth living for. And yes, on the large scale, it will be happily ever after. And, and we would also say that godliness is good for this age as well as the age to come. But it does not guarantee an easy life. In fact, quite the opposite. Because if the church is salt and light, well, as Tolkien says in The Hobbit, you know, dark for dark business. <laughs> People like dark. They don't want the light to show, shine on them. 
They don't necessarily want the flavor of what their way of life is, is, is leading to, to be brought out because it makes them uncomfortable. And so if we live godly lives in Jesus Christ, we need to expect that people won't like that. Now, that doesn't mean that you should go out and be obnoxious about being godly. Absolutely the opposite, right? What, what did we see in the, in the parable? Our focus ultimately is on ourselves, on fixing ourselves, uh, because that's the only bit that we have any power over that we can fix by God's grace, by, by his, his help. But it's still going to annoy people and we'll suffer misrepresentation and persecution while imposters, people pretending to be good, uh, will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But he says, what are we to do about this? He says, as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. That's also important here. Because as we look at the saints of the church, from whom, the, from whom we have received the faith. They're the ones who have been faithful. They are the ones who have handed it down. We see the, the, the beauty and the joy and the love and the humility of this way of life. And we know from whom we have learned it. And he says, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped for all good works. And so, again, the encouragement to Timothy is hold fast, stand firm, pay attention to yourself, and be immersed in the scripture, in the stories that are handed down to us. Because as we look at, what, at the teachings, as we look at the way of life of all of those who have gone before us, we can start to see where we need to fix things, where we need to focus in terms of learning how to love, how to apply that sort of stuff in the world. That's what the stories are about. So immerse yourselves in them. Read them. Meditate on them. And as you do, pay attention not to your neighbor, not even to the state of the world, but to yourself. You are responsible before God for yourself, for your life, for your conduct, for living this way of life that is the new life the spiritual life, the eternal life, life on another level, which does not end, which does not fail, and which is rooted and grounded in that which is the ultimate glory of God, love, to his glory, the glory of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, now and ever into ages of ages.